Good morning, church family. It's a pleasure and a privilege to worship with you today. Our sermon text today is found in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. Please read with me. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. This is the word of the Lord. Morning, church family. It's good to see everyone today. My name is Barrett Fisher. I'm one of the pastors here at Christ's Covenant. And it's always a privilege to get to open the word of God with our church family. And so we're going to dive in. We're going to see what the Lord has to say to us today. We're in the middle of a series Uh, on the covenant wheel. I think we have a little graphic up there for us. Uh, We've got on the outside of that wheel, there's nine behaviors that we're going through a sermon series and talking about each one of these nine behaviors. So two weeks ago, uh, Jason preached on corporate worship, which is what we're doing here today. We're worshiping corporately. And, um, you know, when I think about these behaviors, I want to draw special attention to the fact that these should be rhythms. So rhythms is a word that I've kind of latched onto when I think of these behaviors. These should be rhythms that are in our life. These are not, we're not looking for behavior modification per se. We're looking for rhythms of grace that are kind of happening in our life. And so two weeks ago, uh, Jason preached on corporate worship. Uh, last week preached on personal devotion, which is another one of those. And so, you know, we should have regular rhythms of, of personal devotion And this week, today, we're going to be talking about family worship. Family worship. We encourage all of our members to have regular rhythms of family worship in your home. And, um, you know, there's there's kind of a, seems to be an unspoken message a little bit that the discipleship of our kids is something that we kind of outsource, that we... um, and primarily, I think we think in terms of the church discipling our kids. But I would say that the discipling of our kids should primarily happen in the home. Now, I see Matt Nolan sitting over here, kids ministry. Uh, Zach Smith does a great job with our students' ministry. And certainly, when your kids go to their ministries, uh, they will seek to disciple your kids, for sure. But the primary discipleship of your children should happen in the home. We should not look to outsource the discipleship of our kids. Um, My family came to the 9 a.m. service, except for one. I've got her right over there behind the washers, Evangeline. She's sitting over there. Uh, But oftentimes, and she's our oldest, when people ask, how many kids do you have? And we say, we have six kids. Every uh, we get these very like shocked and surprised answers. Six kids. What, what do you mean you have six kids? And, and I, I, I never know if, if people are saying like, why did you do that? Or, you know, 
isn't that so expensive? You know, we get that. Like, how, how do you survive? You know, it's like, well, the Lord provides. I mean, we're, we're, doing, we're doing well. So people always seem to be so shocked that we have a bunch of kids. And so I just want to say at the outset of this sermon, uh, and I think the psalmist says it well in Psalm 127.3, where, where he says, children are a gift from the Lord. They are a reward from him. And so I just want to say at the outset, as we, as we look at family worship, this is not something that we begrudgingly want to, you know, try to implement into our homes. But I think something where we say, you know, the children that the Lord has provided for us are an absolute gift. And Joe Beth and I, my wife and I, we, we, we view our children that way. And we're so grateful that the Lord has provided for us. And, and, and we, want to, we want to steward that responsibility very well. And so this passage that we're looking at today, I think, speaks to that. I think it speaks to family worship, and it also speaks to family discipleship. So let's, let's dive in a little bit and um, look at this passage. This passage, Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 through 9, is traditionally called the Shema, and um, you know, I, I typically don't incorporate a lot of like Hebrew and Greek words into my sermon because sometimes, you know, you hear preachers that are always like throwing out these Hebrew words and these Greek words. You're like, okay, I, I don't speak Greek. I don't speak Hebrew. But Shema is kind of one of those that like, it's probably, you know, a good one for all of us to learn because it was such an important passage for the Israelites. This was such an important passage. And in fact, it became an important passage in the New Testament as well. You can think of Jesus in his ministry, and when a lawyer came and asked him, what is the great commandment? And he's talking about the Hebrew scriptures. In the Old Testament, what is the great commandment? And Jesus points directly to this passage, to Deuteronomy 6. And he says that you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And so Jesus is highlighting the fact that this passage that we're talking about today, Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9, is a very important passage. In fact, this played a, uh, a very prominent role in Jewish life. Um, after Moses gives a sermon, then also even later on in Judaism up, up to the present day, this plays a very prominent role. And a, and a, and a good Jew would, would even recite this passage every single day in their prayers. And, and so I, I think I'm trying to say like the whole Testament, you can kind of look at Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9, is like the Shema passage. Like this is a very, very important passage. And so want to want to talk about the context of Deuteronomy 6 a little bit. Um, so basically, you know, because sometimes, sometimes we do a sermon on a, on a book like Deuteronomy, and we kind of like parachute into the text. We're not, we're not going through Deuteronomy. We're talk, trying to talk about family worship, and we parachute into the text, and, and, and we're like, what is Deuteronomy about? I, I don't understand, you know, what, what's going on in Deuteronomy? And so a little context of that is that Moses, who's kind of the leader of Israel at the, at the time, they have been wandering it, with, with the Israelites, has been wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. They've been wandering around, and they're, at the, they're getting closer and closer and kind of at the edge of the promised land, this land that God has promised to give them, which will later become Israel. And so they're at the edge of this promised land, and Moses is kind of like, he's kind of like the pastor of Israel, if you will, and he's about to retire. 
Uh, if you'll remember the story, Moses is not allowed to go into the promised land. And so he's about to send them on their way and they'll go into the promised land. Joshua will replace him and, and take them into the promised land. And, um, and so basically he gathers Israel, kind of like we're doing today, and he gathers all of them and he preaches this series of sermons. And that's basically what the book of Deuteronomy is. You've got the audience of Israel and Moses is going to preach this series of sermons. And he tells us why he preaches this series of sermons. Our passage is in verses 4 through 9 of chapter 6 in Deuteronomy. If you look in verse 12, it, it talks about why um, he's, he's telling them these things. Verse 12 says, Take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. So he's telling, them, he's telling them these things so that they will, once they go in and occupy the land, that they will preserve these things, that they will carry on their faith. And in fact, this pa our passage today is talking about how they will pass down their faith from generation to generation. Because Moses knows that when they go into the promised land, their quality of life is going to increase greatly. They're going to have a much better life. They've been wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. They've been seeing God do amazing things in the wilderness, and they're about to go into the promised land. Life's about to get a little more comfortable. And I would say that it's kind of that way for all of us, that when life gets a little more comfortable, we have that tendency to forget God. And that's why Moses is saying, come back to this passage. And he says, Shema, hear. It's for the first word in that passage, the word hear, okay? That's what Shema means. It means to hear. And Moses is saying, when you go in there, I want you to Shema. I want you to listen to me. I want you to hear what I have to say to you so that you don't forget it. You know, in, in, we're in chapter 6 in Deuteronomy. In chapter 5, Moses preached another sermon, and he walked back through the Ten Commandments. So the Israelites would have had these Ten Commandments kind of fresh on their mind. And then Moses gets to chapter 6. Of course, he's not dealing with chapters. He's speaking. But he gets to chapter 6, and he says, Shema, listen to these things so that you do not forget God internalize them, and in fact, do them. And that's kind of like wrapped up in the Shema. You know, you know sometimes uh, for those of us who have children that you would say, listen, clean your room. You don't expect them just to listen, right? You expect them to actually go and do it. And it's the same thing that Moses is doing. He's saying, hear Shema and go do. And we need to do the same. We don't just read the word and we hear the word or we listen to the word, but we, we hear it and we obey. So admittedly, Deuteronomy 6 is addressing families, okay? And, and I realize, uh, I'm looking out across this room, and especially in our 11 a.m. service, there's quite a few singles that are in the room, uh, even some newlyweds that don't yet have children. And I would just say, um, you know, this... This is an applicable message for husband and wife that do not have children. This is an applicable message for singles who might be dating someone or have hopes of getting married one day. I would say take these things and, and, and 
I think, appreciate the fact that our church is trying to say that family worship is a very important thing that ought to be happening, that it ought to be a rhythm in all of our, in all of our homes. And even, even for you singles, I mean, you can, you can test it out. You know, if your other roommates or whoever are, are believers, then you can try to carry out some of these things now. Or you can go try to join another family and say, how do you guys do this? You know, and, 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 and go, go witness it so that when the Lord, and if and when the Lord gives you a family of your own, that you can begin to implement these things too. So I, and I think you'll see um, on the, as we take a little deep dive into, into the idea of worship, that, that this is like very, very applicable to all of us. So basically going to go through three points today. First point is on family discipleship and family worship. The second point is how scripture views worship. Third point is that, is that Jesus makes true worship possible. And then at the end, I'll try to give some practical suggestions on how to, how to cam, uh, carry out family worship. So the first point is on family discipleship and family worship. <clears throat> this passage has both. It's got both family discipleship and family worship. And I would say, in fact, the two are very integrally tied together and you can't separate them. And in fact, I would say that you have to have one in order to have the other. You have to have the worship side of things in order to have the discipleship side of things. Some, uh, when they look at this passage, they're kind of immediately drawn to, to verse 7, which is on family discipleship. Verse 7 says, You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way when you lie down and when you rise. So uh, there's, there's kind of two sets of opposing things that are happening here. When you sit and when you walk. So sitting is kind of talking about when you're inactive, just sitting down, hanging out in the house. And then walking is kind of when you're active, when you're, when you're going out and doing something. You might be taking a walk in the neighborhood, a literal walk, or you, or you might just be riding in the car. You might be on the way somewhere. Uh, and this, the second thing is, is the lying down and the rising. So lying down is kind of pointing to nighttime, obviously, and then the rising is pointing to morning time. And so it, it's not saying that, like, these are the only times when you lie down and when you rise is when you need to be, you know, talking about the, talking about the word with, uh, with your children. But the point is that you should consistently and routinely be talking about God's word with your children, with your family. And so... We, we need to have these formal times of family worship. And I, and I think when we talk about family worship, like in the, in the covenant wheel and the behaviors, we talk about family worship. Oftentimes we talk about those formal times, like gathering your family together. But, I, and, and granted, those can be great discipleship moments. There can be some great worship that happens there and great discipleship that happens there. But there... There's both, and I want us to see this, there's both a formal side to discipleship and worship and an informal side. And I think we need to see this because sometimes the informal side of this is more important than the formal side. Um, and, and I think this is what verse 7 is describing. When you're sitting down, when you're walking on the way, when you're lying down, when you rise, just throughout your day, God's word ought to be so 
ingrained on our hearts and on our lips that when things come up with our children or with your spouse or, or even with a roommate, that, that you would be speaking into that from a biblical standpoint and not just giving some good, sound advice. Uh, my wife, Jo Beth, and I, we've had some of our best conversations with, uh, with when we're just going on the way. Uh, in fact, Evangeline will attest that she and her mom, oftentimes we live in East Cobb, and they'll go out to Soap Creek and just walk around the trails there and just, I don't even know what y'all talk about, but I assume it's very good. And I, I, and I think her, her mom, well, I, I do. She comes back and she kind of reports to me <laughs> uh, certain things. But, um, but yeah, those are just times where, where we're kind of walking on the way. Um, Evangeline's younger brother, Eli, number two, he um, had this incredible, I mean, it, it was incredible to me as a parent, but it was this great moment the other day on Tuesday night. Uh, Joe Beth and I this year started, started reading the, uh, through the New Testament in a year with our four oldest, the ones that can read. And we just read a chapter a day. And uh, I'll, true confessions, we don't talk about the chapter every single day. It's not like, you know, every day we're waking up and let's talk about it and then we're going to bed and let's talk about it. No, we don't talk about it every single day, but we do have like kind of impromptu times when things come up. And so on Tuesday, Eli uh, came to me when I, we, we were getting dinner ready in the kitchen. And Eli said, dad, I, w- I was reading in Mark 10 and Jesus was talking about divorce and like marrying again or something. He was like, I, I don't really understand that. And I was like, okay, I like that. Why don't we finish getting ready? Go grab the Bible. Let's sit down at the table. We're going to read the passage and we're just going to talk about it while we eat. And that's exactly what he did. He went and grabbed the Bible. We sat down. Uh, we, and we started talking about divorce and remarriage, a difficult topic for a little guy like Eli. And, and so, but we had this great conversation about it and, it, and it provided this incredible moment where I could tell Eli and his younger siblings, and I could say, you know, it's really important who you marry. It's really important who you marry. So the fact that um, I, I, you know, graciously, by the grace of God, like was able to capture that moment, I, I'm able to instill something very powerful into my kids as opposed to just kind of randomly saying, hey guys, you know, it's important who you marry, which would also not be a bad thing, but I think the Lord provided that moment for that, for that particular time. And so it just, it, it was a great, it was a great time of like just informal discipleship. It just kind of happens on the way. And I would say in a very real way that there's worship that is happening through that. But here's the deal. Verse 7, talking about teaching your kids diligently on the way. Uh, Verse 7 cannot happen unless verses 5 and 6 are in place. So let's look at verses 5 and 6. This is where worship comes in. I think it's directly related to how we lead and disciple our kids. So verse Five, it says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Verse six says that they shall be on your heart. These words shall be on your heart. There's a lot to... Lot, lot to note in the way of foreshadowing the, the new covenant and how the Spirit's going to indwell us and God's law will be written on our heart as, as Jeremiah prophesies in, in chapter 31 of his book. But for the purposes today, the point is that God's words should go deeper 
than mere words or, or outward appearances. That we should own it, that we should be living out God's word. And that it should be on our heart. And that's what motivates us to, to speak to our family and to speak to our, speak to our children. But verse five here is absolutely key. That we are commanded to love the Lord our God with all our heart and with all our soul and with all our might. You can kind of picture Moses. He's sitting there with all the Israelites and he's talking to them and he kind of adds the three with all your for added emphasis. Love the Lord your God with all your, all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And we can see how he might do that. You know, the, the heart, it was um, kind of seen uh, a little bit in Jewish thought as, as the mind. The heart and the mind were kind of together, which is kind of interesting. And when Jesus mentions this same verse, he actually adds the word mind, whereas in Deuteronomy 6, it just says heart, soul, and might. Uh, but... Uh, so, the, so the heart is kind of like the heart and the mind together, and then the soul kind of refers to the, the will and sensibilities of a person. The might refers to our, you know, the, the physical side of a person with all of our, our functions and capacities. And so the point is that we should love God with every aspect and element of our being, that our love for God should be all-encompassing. And I would just ask you to try to reflect on yourself a moment. How are we doing? In terms of loving the Lord your God with all that you are, with all your heart, soul, and might. How are you doing? I mean, this is a, this is a good time have, uh, to, to consider these things. Have you surrendered every aspect, every element to God? Are you, are you loving him with all that you are? Consider your, your family life. Consider your job your free time, your downtime, your time with friends and extended family, your interaction with neighbors, your, your leisure time. Consider these things. Do you feel like these are all surrendered to God or do you kind of section off God into a certain area and you live the rest of your life and then, and then you, you kind of bring God in in more of an advisory or a consultant role in your life? It's not the way it's meant to be. Our love for God should be all-encompassing. We should surrender every aspect and every element of our life to him. So if we want to see verse 7 happen to disciple our kids, disciple our children, disciple our families, see family worship happen, then we, we've got to see verses 5 and 6 happening. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and to, and to have these things written on your heart. So verse Verses 8 and 9 in this passage are actually very interesting verses, and, and I think they teach us something very important about worship, okay? So let's read verses 8 and 9. It says, you shall bind them as a sign, talking about these words, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. It seems like it's saying that these should be, uh, that these are like figurative words or, or, or he's saying this metaphorically to actually do these things because, you know, earlier in the passage to, 
you, you don't only talk to your children or teach your children when you're, when you're sitting or walking. I mean, what if you're running? I mean, can you not teach your children? And so I, I don't think it's trying to say that or when you're rising up or, or, or lying down. Like these are not the only times. So it kind of seems like verses 8 and 9 are, are to be taken figuratively or metaphorically. But later on in Judaism, they began to take these verses very literally. And so verse 9, they would actually get boxes and put them on, the, on their doorposts. And they would take these little boxes, and what they would do is they'd take little pieces of paper and they would write verses on there. They would, in fact, write this very passage. Like I said, very important passage in the Old Testament, very important passage for Israel. So they would write the Shema passage on these little bits of paper, and they put it on these boxes, and they put it on their doorposts. They put it on the gates of their house. And in verse 8 as well, I think we have a little, a little image up there, but they would take this very literally, and this is a modern-day Jewish man, and he's taking uh, uh, 6-8, Deuteronomy 6-8, very literally. And so they will, they will take a uh, leather cube-shaped case, and they would write on, piece, on pieces of paper, and they would stick it in these, these boxes, and they would put it around their forehead, and it, and it would sit between their eyes. And then they would do it on their arm as well. And you can see he's got that leather strap and on his, kind of on his uh, bicep right there, he's got one of those, one of those boxes as well. And so they'd write the, the Ten Commandments, they'd write the Shema passage, and they would, they would put them on there. Um, and so these boxes that you're looking at in the picture, they were called phylacteries. Phylacteries. And you're like, I, some of us are have never heard that word before. And then others are like, well, hang on. I, I think I remember Jesus actually talking about a phylactery one time. And so in Matthew 23, Jesus does indeed talk about these, these boxes. And he's condemning the Jew, uh, sorry, he's condemning the Pharisees because of their, uh, their hypocritical living. And in, in verse five, as you can see up there, he says, they do their deeds to be seen by others. For they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long. And you're like, I've never known what phylacteries was. And now you know. It's these little boxes that they would put on themselves, okay, that, that contain the word of God. And so they would literally have the word of God. They would literally have scripture attached to their persons. But Jesus had some harsh words for the Pharisees. Another place when he was condemning the Pharisees, in Matthew 15, verses 8 and 9, he's rebuking them, and he quotes from the prophet Isaiah, and he says, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me. And this is the rub. They appear to be worshiping God, right? They have scripture attached to their person. They appear to be worshiping God. They appear to be fully surrendered to God. But Jesus himself is pointing out that their worship is in vain and that their hearts are actually far from God. And I would just say, may that never be true of us. But I think it's worth evaluating. I think it's worth considering. 
what if we gathered to worship and, and to sing praises to God, but the very one we're singing to would say that our worship is in vain? What if we gather with our families in order to relay God's truth, but our hearts are actually far from him? And I just say very simply, we don't want this. We don't want it to be this way. So I think we need to talk a little more about worship, which brings me to my second point, which is how does scripture view worship? How does scripture view worship? Think of the context that we normally use the word worship. We, we say a worship service, like we're having right now. Worship leader, a worship band, a worship night, a worship song, worship gathering. These are, these are some of the primary ways we kind of hear uh, the, word, the word worship. Um, and, and the focus there, it seems to be on an event or on something we do or someone who's leading that event. And I, and I would say that these are, certainly are outward kind of external expressions of worship. And so I, I do not want to take away from worship services, worship songs. We can continue using that language, and that is very accurate. However, I do think it's a, a narrower use of the word worship than what Scripture presents. And I, and I think Scripture actually uses a, a broader sense of this word worship, uh, because worship must include, and I think, it, I, I think it must begin with this broader sense of the word. And, and if we go back to Deuteronomy 6 and we look at verse 5, I, I think this is getting at what the heart of worship is, where it says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. This is worship. It's this internal worship that we have of the Lord. And so worship becomes more of like a state of being than it is an event or something we do. And so I think we need to broaden our understanding of worship to see that there's both an internal component to worship and an external component to worship or an external expression of that worship. And this is what Jesus was saying to the Pharisees. The external was there, right? But the internal was not. They looked very religious. They looked like they were worshiping. But Jesus said, their hearts are far from me. I, I had a um, kind of a time in my life where I felt like this was beginning to be true. Our family served overseas for a number of years, and we served in, uh, primarily in the country of Indonesia. And I was doing some doctoral studies at the time, and I would fly back to the States and kind of take seminars and writing my dissertation and all those type things. And so at the time, I was, I was studying lots and lots about Scripture. I was actually doing on the incarnation of Christ, you know, one of the, one of the most pivotal moments in all of history. And I was increasing in my knowledge of the word, and I was reading so many books and going deeper in my understanding of the story of Scripture and how all of that plays out. 
But I started to notice that my heart was growing cold and numb before the Lord. And I I specifically remember one time when I I went to an Indonesian church and uh, their their worship is, is... is a lot, you know, their worship services are a lot more lively than, than ours can be. And, um, and I particularly remember going and I'm singing the words, but I look like towards the front and I see this group of women who are just pouring out their souls in worship of the Lord. And I had the thought, I bet that I could teach them 10 times more about scripture than they can teach me. But I think their hearts are much closer to the Lord than mine is right now. And it was just this this time of reflection where I had to say, okay, I'm growing so much in my knowledge of the word, but my heart is becoming far from the Lord. And I had to repent. I had to get alone with the Lord. And that's that's exactly what I did. And praise praise God, there was a a warmth that came back. And, And I think that internal worship was very much experienced once again, as the Lord will so often do when we just come to him. But we, we, we need to see that, that worship has to do more with this internal state of being as opposed to just these outward expressions of how uh, worship is expressed. And so if we're not loving the Lord our God with our heart, soul, and mind, we're not in a state of worship. We might be at a worship service, we might be singing loudly, we might be saying all the right things, but our hearts can still be far from the Lord. I think this is what Paul was uh, getting at in Romans 12 when he's using this kind of broadened, all-encompassing use of the word worship. Uh, In Romans 12 and verse 1, he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. You know, when we think about sacrifice, a sacrifice is something that is holy and entirely consumed with fire on an altar. And that is what Paul is encouraging us towards, and that is what God wants to see happen in our lives, that this Our spiritual worship should be an all-encompassing surrender of our heart, soul, and mind to the Lord. We should give it all to him. It brings us to our third point, that Jesus makes true worship possible. You might be sitting there asking yourself, how do I get this internal worship going? How do I love the Lord with all my heart, soul, and might? I want some of that. How do I get it going? And if you're sitting there asking yourself that, I think it's exactly where you want to be. Because the answer is you can't get it going. You cannot fabricate it. Left to yourself, left to myself, we cannot love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, and mind. And it is only Jesus who makes this possible for us. It's only because Jesus came and he loved his father with all his heart, soul, and mind. He lived a life of total surrender and complete devotion to the father and to his will. 
It's only because Jesus was the literal sacrifice on the cross and, and, and because he paid the debt that we cannot pay on our own. It's only because the Father raised him from the dead that we can experience this internal, all-encompassing worship that God is calling us to. But it's not just based on that. Jesus also sent us his spirit, okay? And so for, for all those who have surrendered their life to Jesus, uh, Jesus tells us that he has sent his spirit to be a helper. He calls him a helper and an advocate that is always with us to, to convict us when we mess up and to, to set our paths straight time and time again and to put our priorities in order, you know, because of what Jesus did, because of his life, because of his death and resurrection and the giving of his spirit to us, we can now live out Deuteronomy 6.5. We can love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, and might. We can live out Deuteronomy 6.6, 6, that we can have God's word written on our heart and we can take it with us wherever we go. And we can live out Deuteronomy 6, 7, that we can teach our children diligently on the way and as we go and as we walk and as we sit. And it's all because of what Jesus has done. So we're, we're not just looking to, you know, impart good moral lessons to our children or stale truths to our kids, but we're trying to say to them, this God who has changed my life has made it possible for you, for your life to be changed as well, and for you to experience the kind of worship that I have experienced. That's what we're wanting to impart to our children. That's what we want to have in our families, with our spouse, with our kids. And so Jesus literally sacrificed himself on the cross so that you and I can become living sacrifices, holy and totally committed to him. And so I would say the answer is the same for, for all of us, wherever you are today. You say, you know what? I, I, I have never experienced this, this all-encompassing surrender that you're talking about. I've never experienced that. And the answer is, come to Jesus. Okay? It's simple. Come to Jesus. Come to his word. Pray to him. He will take you in. Trust me. Or you might be sitting here and you might be more like I was in Indonesia when I was doing the doctoral studies and my heart had become cold and numb and I, I was no longer experiencing a lot of that internal, all-encompassing surrender of my life. And you might be sitting here saying today, that's me. You know, I, I show up at church, and I sing the songs, I, I say the words, but I just, I, I'm just not feeling it. And the answer is exactly the same. Come to Jesus. You, you, can, you can go try to read a book. And I, I'm not against that. You go try to read a book. But the answer is simple. Come to Jesus. Come to his word. Pray to him. It's the same for all of us. Just come to Jesus. Because here's the reality. You know, when we think about family worship, I think no man or woman has ever been on their deathbed and thought, I, I wish I had invested in my family less. 
I just don't think it happens. It's the most important thing that we have. Aside from our relationship with the Lord, and the two are very tied together. It's very, very important. Your spouse, your kids, these are gifts from the Lord. And I would say let's commit to be intentional with them. And that's why we put forth a a covenant wheel. This is not check box. After this sermon, you should never look at that wheel and think about checkbox. You should always look at, am I loving the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, and might? If I'm not doing that, the covenant wheel, these nine behaviors, they mean absolutely nothing. In fact, Jesus could look at you and say, your heart is far from me, even though you appear to be worshiping me. So I want to give some just kind of practical things on how we can carry out family worship, okay? Uh, So just some practical things, and we'll speak a moment to those in the room that have young kids or maybe, you know, with child and might have a a young young child soon and um, would just like to speak to you. And so uh, just a practical tip on what you can do for, for family worship. You can get a, uh, a, a Bible. Uh, so we have, like in the back, we have for sale a big picture story Bible. And you can pick up one of those. Our family used the Jesus Storybook Bible. And so, uh, you know, they're, they're these kind of thick books that have multiple lessons and they go through the story of scripture. And you can just kind of read one a day. Uh, we, would, we would always do, uh, when, our, when our older kids were younger, uh, we would just read one of those passages, uh, chapters, we would read a chapter and ask some questions, and then we would all sing as a family, and then we would pray. And uh, for those of you that think you don't have a good voice, my wife and I both, both have terrible voices. And so, but it's okay. Kids don't know terrible voices. And, and so you can all just sing together, and, it, and it's not a problem. Uh, but, but I do want to draw, we, we would always ask a question, and, and I, I don't know why, but our kids loved the question, okay? They always looked forward to the question at the end. And it would just be the most basic questions that I could think of. Uh, you know, it would be, a, so who was Jesus talking to that climbed up in the tree? You know, and they would say something like, John. And we said, no, that wasn't it. Oh, it was Zacchaeus. And then they would say, yes, yes, that was it. You know, and they would get so excited and they love to answer those questions. And so, you know, try to make it interactive. Uh, but I would say like 10 minutes max. We all know that little kids, they have um, a very short attention span. And so just, just kind of go through it, go through it quickly. Uh, Christ Covenant has also put out a catechism. And so th- this is a great thing. It just ask a, a question like, who is God? And it gives a, a, a very simple answer to that. And it kind of has hand motions with it as well. And so that's another tool that you can use just to get your kids around and to, and to, and to talk about that. Uh, on our website, we've got a family worship field guide. So you can go to our website and you can find that family worship field guide. It's like, I don't even know where to start. Okay, go to the field guide. That, that's why we designed it. And, and you can just read through that. It's like three or four pages. I mean, it's very short and, uh, and very helpful. Next week, uh, we're going to have a parent brunch on the 22nd next week at 11 a.m. over at 225 Otley, the other building, uh, and you can go over there. And we're going to uh, have a panel, and they're going to talk uh, some about family worship and how they carry out family worship. So that would be a great thing for you to go to. 
You can also ask another family to go join their family worship. Just say, hey, man, do you do family worship? You guys do family worship? Oh, can we just, like, come and see what you do? And it's like, yeah, I mean, you're going to be there for 10 minutes, but sure, come on. Let's, uh, and we can hang out more than that, but, uh, but yeah, you can, you can be there for that. And it's just a good way to just learn how to carry this out. With, with families with middle and high schoolers, middle school and high schoolers, it's, uh, you know, it, it's, it's, a little, it's a little different. I mean, you, you don't go through the, uh, the like 10-minute Jesus storybook Bible, and so you kind of you change. One thing, and I mentioned it earlier, but one thing that we started doing with our older kids is just reading the New Testament in a year. And uh, it, it's basically like five days a week. You just read a chapter a day and just started uh, doing that as a family. And again, we don't talk about it every day, but like random questions come up. Eli asked that question the other day. Evangeline, had a, you had a very good question this past week too. It was on, uh, oh, Jesus and concealing his identity. She was like, I was reading that. Why does Jesus like not want any to, uh, anyone to, to tell who he was? And, and it was a very perceptive question. And so we had a great conversation about that. Um, Zach Smith, our, our student's pastor in the and the students' ministry has another New Testament a year plan that they're going through. And it's January. If you got middle school or high schoolers, you can jump in right now. Don't worry about the first few days. Just go ahead and jump in and, and start doing that. Um, and, and I would also say be intentional to address certain topics and important conversations on the way with, with your middle schoolers and high schoolers. That's something that we need to do. And I, I'm not saying that I have done that perfectly. I, I know that I have not. But, but we try to be intentional in that. In, in going on walks, uh, Eli and I, one kind of random night, just went on a walk in our neighborhood. And we ended up walking for about an hour and a half. And, and we just talked about some, some very good things that, that needed to be talked about. And so, um, so just be intentional to have those conversations. Um, We've got other resources in the back that you guys can learn from, a family discipleship book, a praying the Bible book, which is a a very helpful book. And it's like, whatever you read in scripture, if you read the Shema, you just pray that. It's not hard, okay? So you read the Shema, okay? Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. And it says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. So you just pray with your family and say, Lord, help us to love you with all of our heart, soul, and mind. You just Pray simple prayers like that, and it's, and it's just praying through the Bible. And so we, we, we want your family to continue or to start to have these times of family worship that are, that are inevitably part of family discipleship. You will be discipling as you worship. But again, if that, if that internal worship is off, then I would say take the time. Take the time with the Lord to get that right. I'm not necessarily saying put off family worship until you feel like everything is perfect. I'm not saying that. But take the time to get it right. Today, you can talk with the pastor when we're out here. We'll pray with you. Join a men's group. Join a women's group. Join a community group. So that that internal worship is there. And so when you're, when you're, when you're talking with your family, with your spouse, and with your children, you know that it's, it's authentic, and it's coming from, a, from a, a place in your heart and not just something that you're trying to check off. So, so I just leave you with this question. What, what's, what's your next step to ensure that family worship is happening in your home? What's your next step? 
your next step might be that you need to get on your knees before the Lord and just come to him. That's great if that's the next step. Do that step. Your next step might be, man, I've enjoyed some amazing times with the Lord, some personal times with the Lord myself. Every day I spend time with the Lord. That's great. Your next step is start enjoying some of those times with your family, with your spouse, your children. If you're single, with your roommates. Bring your roommates together. Say, guys, I know this is kind of weird, whatever, but I think it'd be helpful for us. I think it'd be good if we just got together and kind of talked about this. And I think that uh, everybody would be up for it. So what's your, what's your next step to ensure that family worship is happening in your home? Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we're grateful for your word. Um, grateful particularly for this passage and, and how you lead us in just knowing what our priorities should be. And I think here in the Shema passage, the priority is to love the Lord our God, to love you with all our heart, with all our soul, and with all our might. Father, would you help us to do that? Would you help us to know what needs to happen in our life if that is not happening? Lord, would you show us things in our heart and things in our life that are not surrendered to you? And Father, would you have mercy on us that we might surrender those things to you? Father, sometimes our our priorities need to be set straight. We're asking that you would do that. What an amazing thing if all the families in Christ's covenant are, are strong and healthy and experiencing worship and discipleship in the home. What an amazing thing. God, we're asking that you would do that for us. I pray that Christ's covenant would be a, a strong and healthy church because our families are strong and healthy. God, I pray for the leaders of those homes, for husband and wife, Lord, that they would come together and just discuss what can we do to, to ensure that we are, we are living out this family worship. God, would you be with us? We're so thankful for Jesus who makes it all possible that we can boldly come before your throne, that we can live in communion with the Father because of what Jesus has done. And it's in his name that we pray these things.